0: Log Talk Radio.
1: to the Fight Wars Network. Uh, I'm Don Henderson, and of course, each and every Wednesday night, we come your way. We've got a great show for you this evening. Roy Cummings, of course, in Tampa, as always. I know many of you uh, a little bit of a split program tonight because you'll be watching the Capitals and the Lightning on TBS, which is just starting right now. And Roy will probably talk about that as well as the Bucks and of course, the Rays get underway with baseball, as everybody does tomorrow. So, a lot of action there. And Daryl Ledbetter will join us from Atlanta with uh, Roger Henler, who's also our correspondent in Atlanta. And uh, Mike Simzak, who's down in the Baltimore and Washington area. And he may have a comment or two about this game as well. He may be at the game. I don't know yet whether he is stationed there or not. But before we start, Frank, uh, let's get a little business out of the way uh,
2: and let will get right into it. Hi, right, uh, thank you. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, are you here? tired of paying the high prices on electricity, it keeps going up each and every year. And it's going to go again this year because the legislature just passed another uh, 12%, which they're signing an additional 18%, which makes make an additional 30% this year onto your bill. There's a way to stop that by putting biosolar, bringing biosolar to your house. Solar panels are installed free of charge for you. They You sign the contract with biosolar. And then for the next Uh, 25 years, you're guaranteed 50% reduction in cost of electricity. They can be uh, reached at 727-314-6976. Ask for Patrick, he's the owner. And the first 10 callers to call and say they heard it here on Sports Tonight get a $200 cash rebate. So that's 727-314-6976. Yes, it is a, a Florida number, um, but they are licensed in each and every state, so they can make, uh, make transitions to any co- any part of the country that you'd like, you'd like to have. them. Okay, Don.
1: Okay, Thank you very much, Frank. And let's get right to Roy because he's in Atlanta, and uh, he's sort of going to be – I know he's going to be watching the game as he does the show this evening. So, uh, Roy, first of all, baseball tomorrow – Uh, A couple of your thoughts about the opening of the season. Well, thankfully it's here, finally.
0: Uh, As Frank and I talked about uh, just before the show started, uh, we were wondering if we were going to get to this day, if we were going to have an opening day, and uh, thankfully we do. And
3: I'll tell you what,
0: I think we are on the brink of um, some exciting changes in baseball. It's going to be more of those changes are going to come next year. But we're already starting to see one change Uh, through the new collective bargaining agreement, you're going to see a lot of young rookies uh, up with their teams from day one this year Um, and some of the best young prospects in the game. And um, it's going to be a lot of fun watching some of these kids uh, work their way through the league uh, early on in their careers. You know, we're talking about Bobby Wood Jr., uh, uh, Jose Rodriguez, and –
1: In Seattle, there's probably a dozen of them around the league. I was going to say, you have one right in your backyard. They gave $180 million to an 11-year contract. And what do you have, 70 at-bats last year? And they stepped forward uh, and really put out the money.
0: Yeah, and, you know, there's a lot of people who think some of the kids coming up uh, this year, uh, you know, right now are going to start their their seasons uh, in the next day or two. Uh, are, are as good as Willie Adams and, uh, no, no, I'm sorry, Wander uh, Franco, and, um, and that uh, you're going to see some some really special play out of these guys. And, uh, and it's, so it's exciting. And I think this is, uh, again, I think we're on the brink of one of the more exciting uh, eras in baseball. I think we, we're kind of, it may be the dawn of a new era. There's going to be some changes come next year, including pitch counts. They're going to speed up the game. I think we may be getting back to um, a little bit more base feeling in the game. Uh, And I also think uh, given some of the issues that a lot of teams have with health regarding their pitchers, I think you might end up seeing some teams slowly go back to using starting pitchers the way we all remember them being used, and that's uh, six, seven innings as opposed to five and six innings at best. So uh, we'll see how that goes. Uh, that may be a slow developing trend, but uh, I think that trend may come around so uh look, I'm always excited about the start of baseball season to me it's uh it's like another day it's another like another Christmas day, so can't wait for it tomorrow uh, very excited uh and anxious
1: to see how it all how it all shakes out. well, interesting, and we'll get to Roger in a second. The Yankees and us today, uh, as you mentioned the the pitching situation with the short spring training. They're only going to carry four extra players for opening day. The rest are all going to be pitchers. And uh, as uh, Boone indicated, uh, he's going to go very short uh, as far as letting the pitchers go too deep in any games, especially in the first two or three weeks. Roger, you've got Atlanta on your mind. You've got Philadelphia on your mind. you got baseball on your mind. What do you got for
2: us?
4: Well, I'm, I, too, am very happy that the season is getting underway. It's uh, my favorite sport, always has been. Always will be, and uh, I just uh, back up with uh, you were saying, Roy. The uh, Phillies uh, announced that uh, Bryson Stott is going to uh, be on the opening day roster, and he was the I think the first pick, their first pick in in, uh, 2019, and uh, he had a great uh, spring training. But they even have to make a move to add him to the forty man roster and of course the team, uh, the teams are going to have uh, expanded roster 28 players. I think what is it from May 1st and uh, which I think is good because of the uh, shortened spring training but uh, just a lot going on. The Braves uh, I think are going to be the elite in the National League East again. Uh, they've made some good moves in addition to uh, being the world champions. And, uh, you know, it should be an exciting uh, baseball season, hopefully, now that we've got the labor problems resolved.
1: Bellas, as was pointed out uh, very emphatically in the New York Post today, in the American League East, along with the Rays, we've got four teams that are in contention to win it, and one team that's going to be uh, out of the picture, obviously, the team that trades right here to Sarasota, which is Baltimore. Uh, right now they've got the Blue Jays uh at uh, 92.3 game, wins the game. They've got the Rays in at uh, 90.3. Uh, they've got the Yankees in at the number one spot. They've got them at 92.5. And then, of course, the, uh, the yeah. Orioles are way down. They picked them to win 62 games. Six. They won to the 100 part, Uh they did last year. Maybe they'll get over to 100 mark this year. Uh, Roy, it looks like the American League East is going to be a dogfight right down to the last day. Yeah, what else is new, right? Uh, Absolutely.
0: I mean, one of the best teams in baseball last year, the Blue Jays, didn't make the playoffs. Uh, You can win 90 games, you can win 90-plus games in that division and not make the playoffs. That's how good it is. And uh, one of those, as you said, one of those teams is going to be the odd man out. And um, it's really, really uh, intriguing to watch uh, how that's going to play out uh, over the course of the season. And uh, But, you know, it's not just the AL East that's interesting. Uh, I, I think the uh, AL Central is going to be interesting. Um, the Royals have probably the best young prospect in the game in Bobby Wood Jr. coming up. Um, the Tigers look like they want to win now. Uh, the White Sox obviously are, are the cream of the crop, but they've had some injuries that are going to allow some teams to kind of catch up to them a little bit. Early on, possibly uh, injuries to pitchers. So, you know, we'll see where it goes. And hey, let's not forget about the Twins. Uh, they finished last in that division last year, but uh, at the end of the day, they were a much better team than that, uh, talent-wise. And if they can keep uh, some key guys healthy, uh, they could be a team to watch as well. So, I think the AL Central is going to be tight. Uh, the West will be interesting. Anytime you got Shohei Ohtani, uh, look, we're we're in an era, guys. You know. Um, Don, you probably got a chance to watch Babe Ruth. I didn't. Um, but, uh, you know, we've got a Babe Ruth-type player in the game right now in Shohei Ohtani. And um, son of a gun, every time this kid plays, uh, and especially when he pitches, I, I, think, he got, I think it's must-watch TV. You absolutely have to watch it. We're, we're fortunate uh, to have this happening during our, uh, our lifetime period when we're watching the game. Uh, and, again, hey, I, I, I'm just talking about the American League here, and uh, I think there's lots of stars, and I think the game is, um, again, I, I just think the game is headed for a, a bit of a rebound in terms of
1: uh, interest among uh, young fans. I hope so, anyway. It should be. I agree with that. I also think, you have to think of the Angels have two superstars. If they can keep their center fielder healthy, uh, a little yeah. bit longer period this year. And, uh, as you mentioned, the White Sox, everybody was thinking the White Sox sort of hands down, before spring training started they you know they had uh, great depth in the pitching staff they had a great team to put on the field but as you mentioned they had some injuries there which uh, uh they're going to have to overcome before uh too long in the early part of the season. Roger?
4: Well the uh one thing uh, Roy that uh, you mentioned uh about the White Sox and they are the uh, the cream uh-huh. Excuse me. Uh, the other thing is, that, Don, with the Angels, you're right. They got two superstars, and and I I think the uh, Angels should do very well this year. I mean, and uh, but some of the other moves that have been made, uh, it's just amazing. Uh, the that what we're going to see. One thing that I like is that now the designated hitter is in both leagues. So I think that's really going to change the National League uh, as far as managing goes. I know it will. I mean, because it changed the American League. So, what do you think the effect is going to have on the uh, National League now that we have standardized um, the uh,
0: you know a standardized uh, hitting? Well, obviously you're going to see uh, more offense. That's for sure, and you're going to get a chance to see. Um better players, you know, more often. Uh, look, I, I'm a traditionalist, like I think all of us are. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I like the idea of, of an ODH, but I got to say that when they had it during the, uh, during the pandemic shortened season two years ago, I, I came to like it. I, I didn't mind that, you know, another quality hitter was getting a chance to hit during a game as opposed to watching the hitters, you know, the pitchers hit. And I didn't, I'm, I didn't mind watching pitchers hit, you know, to me, it was, uh, it was exciting to see him get a hit. It was frustrating to see him get a hit against your, uh, sometimes, uh, be, you know, because it's the pitcher and you, it shouldn't happen and, or you think it shouldn't happen, but, um, I came to enjoy it. I, I, and I, and I think it's a good move for baseball overall. I like the fact that everybody's playing the same game again. I think that's, uh, helpful. And, um, uh, it's going to help. It's going to help teams. Uh, you know, it's going to make it a little bit harder, I think, to really gauge who the best teams in the league are. Now, look, you know, we haven't talked about the NL East, which we should, because uh, Roger, you're in Atlanta. We got a big uh, Philadelphia following here, and you got you know, let's face it, you got the New York Mets, who I think are kind of like the White Sox uh, in the fact that you got two pitchers at the top of that rotation who are already. Uh, you know, battling injuries. One who's going to miss his starts uh, for quite some time, Jacob Degrom, and and then you got Max Scherzer, who I think is going to just tough it out uh, early on here and and try to work through a hamstring injury. But um, uh, you know, the Mets, I think, were probably considered by a lot of people on paper to be the best team in the division. But I got to say, I think it's wide open again. Uh, Roger, what do you think? You're there in Atlanta, where the champions uh, rest. Um, they're not the champions uh, that they were just a few months ago but um what do you think about the NL East and uh and how that's going to well
4: i i agree uh the mets have made a lot and spent a lot of money uh the braves uh put uh, Acuna on the 10 uh, day injured list cuz he's still recovering from the acl tear and uh but the uh you know they had made some great moves uh early on uh in figuring that uh, Freddie Freeman was going to leave, which he he did. and uh, I, But I still think the uh, Braves are the team to beat until proved otherwise in the NL East. And I think the, uh, the Mets and the Phillies have a chance to, uh, and probably uh, Marlins, uh, any of them have a chance to make the playoffs with the extended uh, playoffs now. <laughs>
1: Well, Roy's correct yeah, about the uh, starting pitching for the Mets because Scherzer, uh, uh, even right up till today is saying that the hamstring is still a question mark. He did throw a bullpen uh, yesterday, uh, indicating he was, in fact, going to start the opening game. And uh, the other thing is <laughs> the Mets may get a real surprise because if the weather's as bad as they're projecting, uh, they may not be on TV for their opening game. And I'm talking in terms of cable TV or home TV. Uh, uh, they're going to be on uh, not Amazon, but what's the other one? Uh, uh, I don't know who's ever going to see the game if they if it happens on Friday night. They're not going to have their they're not going to have their opening game on, which is um, unbelievable to me.
4: Well, Apple TV and Amazon. Uh, yeah, to- Apple. That's
1: where it's going to be on Apple, I think.
4: Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of I've read the same thing you have, Don, and, and I'd like to have Royce. Comment about this. I think the worst thing baseball can do is uh, for the um, for the money is to uh, put the, put these Friday night games, some really good games, uh, on this Amazon or Apple. And I'll tell you, uh, uh, Chris Russo had a, a really good uh, commentary about it the other day, and he said he refuses to try to find out where a game is. With, with on Amazon and Apple because it's so difficult to find it. And I think that's going to uh definitely affect the uh, the fans. What do you think, Roy?
0: Yeah, I'm not a fan of making it harder to find games uh on TV. I mean, we're in an era now where with uh, packages like the, you know, the extra ratings package uh on your cable network and Uh, on direct tv and that kind of thing where you know fans should be able to watch every game they want and they shouldn't have to go searching for it it should all be right there for them if you're paying a premium to uh to watch uh, you know any game that you want you should be able to watch any game you want uh in one place and um i hope that major league baseball kind of figures that one out um i don't have a problem with cutting with them cutting a deal with apple tv and and all that—that's you know, it's great. Uh, the, you know, it's another revenue stream, and they created it. Good for them. Uh, a lot of people are obviously Apple TV uh, followers, but at the end of the day, um, you know, I, I just think you, you got to make every game as you know possible uh, available to to the fans who are paying a premium. And I think it's a bit of a uh, uh, it's, it's a bit of a ripoff to me to to pay for you know a premium channel or a premium uh, service. And not be able to watch every game, especially some of the the battles that we're talking about. We're talking about some of, as you said, Don, some of the best games um, of the week there are going to be uh, could could be out. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, never a fan of restricting access uh, to games. Uh, it's it's you, you know you, you used to be a thing. You know once you've ta- once you've got something, you can't take it away. Well, now it seems like they might be trying to take some things away from the fans. I don't think it's going to go over too well. Uh, we'll see what. Um, kind of reaction there is and it might force some
1: adjustments to it um well i i don't i, I agree I don't with both of it. you i i think it's absolutely a disgrace uh that what they're doing and uh at, at the same time the yankees who for all of my lifetime I, i'm talking now from when i first started watching baseball uh they were on wpix channel 11 uh in in new york city and the yankees uh mr levine keeps telling you how concerned he about his, his guests in the ballpark don't call them uh, ticket buyers. He calls them all the guests. But anyway, uh, they just sold their 21 home TV games to. Uh, I'm not sure if it's Apple or Amazon. I think it's Apple. Uh, yeah. They, they sold their. So they're they're no longer going to have home TV. So even if people don't have cable who could see the games on on home TV on channel 11 for 60 years. They're not going to see anything.
4: Well, well, PIX got the Mets uh, to uh, cover. The loss of baseball, but you're exactly right, Don. Anybody that grew up in the metropolitan or lived in the metropolitan area, you could figure the Yankees. And of course, this was before the Yes Network; the, the games right. were on PIX Eleven. And uh, I'll tell you, you're exactly right. There is a tradition in baseball that is gone, and that's another tradition that I think is is ridiculous that the fans do not get to see even 20 games out of 162 or 155, whatever the case might be, on broadcast TV.
1: The other thing we could touch on, I... which they just passed today, which uh, I'd like that both of you comment on, is they uh, did, in fact, install the new electronic system for calling signals to pitchers. So uh, that was approved today. It'll start uh, with opening day. Uh, some of your thoughts on the new uh, – the new sciences of baseball where they're putting in the electronic uh, pitch callers.
0: Well, uh, you know, I think we adjusted to it in tennis. And, and I think to be honest with you, I think people appreciate uh, what we've seen in tennis where they use a similar system to, you know, make sure that you've got the right call, you know, in or out. So I don't have a problem with it. Um, what I hope is the result is that umpires get a little bit better at, at, at calling balls and strikes in the defined strike zone. I, I think there could be a positive from this. You know, I'm not a big fan of, you know, everything going electronic. I, I don't like that necessarily. Uh, I certainly don't want to see umpires taken out of the game. And, and we sit here and watch, you know, uh, mechanics uh, decide balls and strikes all the time. But if this forces umpires behind the plate to be a little bit you know, to focus a little bit more, then I'm all in favor of it. And, um, you know, if, if that causes some kind of mental anguish or something, I don't know, I mean, I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, changing umpires behind the plate, you know, in midstream. Uh, one covers half the game, the other covers the other half. If They've got to focus more, and that's difficult for them on hot afternoons. I don't know, but I, I think there's a potential here for this to make the game better uh, and make the umpires better, which I think is what, let's face it, that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to get, you know, make it, uh, make the ump, make, you know, just make the calls better. And I think this has the potential to do that. And if it does, then I'm not going to be upset about it.
1: Roger, with your comment, I will say that Washington you just scored. They lead the fly the uh, by a one nothing count in the first uh, period. So go ahead, Roger. 1-0. Roger? Did we lose, Roger? No,
4: no. Yeah, he was, I was no just on. I was just on with Frank. We're trying to uh, hook up with uh, D. Led, and uh, uh, the you know I want to get back to this TV situation. Do you realize? I mean, we I know we realize, but we're also uh, older. They just think what made baseball a number of years ago, uh, whether it was the Braves or baseball in general. That's when Ted Turner made TBS the uh the network, okay, or the superstation at first. I mean right. now it's a network obviously TBS because the old channel 17 is now Peachtree TV in Atlanta. But look at what it did for the Braves, America's team in in baseball. And just because of all those games that any cable subscriber in the country could watch, you got to see all these other teams playing roy don't you agree that, that that helped to make baseball popular in many ways
0: uh, absolutely no question i think particularly um, yeah i mean there was a whole group here in the southeast back in the late 70s and 80s that that knew about tbs and the braves but then when it became a superstation everybody got it and yes i think it it um i think it definitely helped uh it, it was it, it was a pioneering event And, um, you know, and I think it was good for baseball. And, you know, obviously I think it was, you know, it became much larger. It was kind of the, you know, the seed that led to what we have now with extra innings and things like that and and all the baseball packages where you can get every team, you know, every team, every game uh, through, you know, through one package and stuff. And, um, but, you know, I guess I think what's happened here, guys, with the loss of, you know, stations like, WPIX losing the Yankees. A couple of years ago, the Cubs no longer on WGN in Chicago, which, again, yeah. that was an adjustment Correct. for a guy like me who grew up on that. Um, but I think what's happened is that uh, those local stations just don't have the money to compete with Apple TV or whatever the other uh, you know, you know, mass-marketed uh, uh, website might be. And you know it's a matter of making money. And you know, look, there's baseball's always been a business. You know, back to the the earliest days. You know, the things that we're arguing about now, uh, outside not necessarily TV, but in terms of you know how much they're paying players, things like that. That was an issue back when players were making a hundred thousand dollars. It was back. It was an issue back when players were making ten thousand dollars. It was an right. issue when you know when Babe Ruth played. It was an issue before that. If you if you could somehow you know pull out a a uh, A newspaper from uh, the spring of 1904, I promise you you're going to find some team somewhere complaining about having to pay some guy and can't hold on to him because they they can't afford him or whatever. And uh, it's just the way, you know, Major League sports are. But I think, you know, trying to find new revenue streams is one of the reasons that these teams have, uh, you know, cut ties with the traditional uh, outlets that have carried their games for so many years. And it's very sad. It would be nice if those uh, outlets could somehow uh, still carry games, you know, in some form or fashion. Uh, that would be nice. I think that would be a nice uh, – because, well, again, let's face it, I mean, it's, it's rare, I suppose. I'm not sure what the numbers are. But not everybody has cable. Not everybody has access to streaming uh, services. So it's um, it's uh, it's a different era, that's for sure.
1: Roy, well, one last comment before we let you go, and that is uh, – John Cooper and company. They're trailing one, nothing with a little under 13 minutes ago in the first period uh, at Washington. Uh, some of your quick thoughts on, on the lightning where we stand right now as we come down the home
5: stretch.
0: Yeah. They're going through a little bit of a slump here clearly. And uh, they're suffering from something that every team and every sport suffers from and every player in every sport suffers from at some point. um even, Two-time Stanley Cup champion, and it's now two nothing Washington. Uh, the Lightning are struggling with, um, with with confidence. They are playing on their heels. Uh, they're just not showing up the way they uh, they want to. They can't seem to pull themselves out of it right now. Um, I don't think they're concerned with uh, where they finish in the in the standings necessarily, um, because I think they feel like they're still good enough to to beat whoever it is that they're going to face, whether they're a, even if they're an eight seed and they end up facing Carolina or Florida or something in the playoffs, I don't think they're concerned about that, but they are concerned about the, their inability at this point to get back to who they were and who they have been for many years. And it's, it's more than just the loss of the three players that made up that dynamic third line for them, because right now, none of their scorers are scoring uh, their goaltender at times. Looks rather adequate at best, and uh, sometimes that's the defense. Night.
1: That's, that's the night, Roy. Yeah. He, you know, he, he had nobody in front of him, no screens, and the, when they scored the second goal, uh, you know. So as you said, dropped behind two nothing, and uh, you just don't see he miss those kind of re, uh, rejections, those kind of shots. No, you
0: don't. And uh, right now, you know, as you said, about just about halfway through, Washington's outshot outshot Tampa six to one. And two goals are in, so that's it's bad goaltending. It's an inability to kind of. I mean, they got they got in essence skated out of their own building the other night by Montreal. Now Montreal is playing, you know, without any pressure at all. They're they're trying to you know make sure they all have jobs next year. Playing for a new coach who's excited. They're in a building where the coach uh, is numbers in the rafters and Marty St. Louis. They had a lot to play for in that game, but. Tampa shouldn't be losing to teams like Montreal at home. That should not be happening. But right now, uh, two to one, Tampa. They just got one from Kucherov on a bad turnover from. Uh, so maybe that'll give them a spark. But that's what they need. They need a spark because right now they uh, they are really suffering from a lack of
1: confidence and uh, and just not playing their style. Well, as you mentioned, two to one now is, uh the lady did get on the board and old oh, Roy, as always, whether it's baseball football we didn't even get to the bucks or anything going on there but thank you very much as always the first half hour always great from tampa always great to be with you guys thanks for having me i appreciate it we'll do hey, it bro, again the have week.
0: a great week can't wait. wait to talk Maybe
1: about you the guys happy and day to
0: everybody yeah you too. all right let's go can't from uh,
1: tampa florida let's go from tampa florida to washington dc and uh mike is, is with us right now and uh Mike, first of all, uh, I don't know if you're at the game tonight. Are you at the at the
3: Washington uh, Lightning game? Uh, no, I'm not at the Washington the Lightning game tonight. Any comment? <laughs> uh, it, you know, I understand what Roy's saying about the uh, about Tampa Bay and their struggles right now, but I have full faith in Washington Capitals' ability to make this a competitive game, even if they are up two one.
1: Well, it's uh, it's interesting to see what has really indicated what's happening with the Lightning. Uh, you know, there were a little bit of a slump coming down the home stretch, getting ready to play in the playoffs, and you don't really expect that. You thought they'd slump off a little bit, and then in the last, you know, five or six games of the season, they'd really come on again like they did to win the Stanley Cup two years in a row. Uh, what else is happening in the Washington, D.C. area we should touch on?
3: Well, we can still talk about the Caps. I mean, they're pretty much locked in now to the, uh, the second of the wild card uh, positions in the NHL, uh, which yeah. would see them most likely play the Florida Panthers in the first round. The Caps have struggled to, with injuries. Um, their top scorers, you know, Adam Mantha, uh TJ Oshie um, have missed more games than they've played this season. They've been, they've suffered from some inconsistent goal tending at best and their power play has just been, you know, inept both uh, scoring on it and defending against shorthanded goals or, you know, full strength goals that happen immediately after a um, shorthanded situation. So if it wasn't for the heroics of, Alex Ovechkin this season posting what could be another fifty goal season for him at age thirty six they'd be in much 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 worse shape so they're going to be it's going to be a tough one for them when they get into the playoffs I just don't think that they have the speed and the consistency right now to make it through winning the you know twelve games necessary to win the Stanley Cup again and you got to look at them and say all right, at what point do we make a decision like we're going to have to rebuild, we're going to have to trade, we're going to have to bite the bullet, or you know, do they eventually get to a situation where they have to let uh, Ovechkin go, which would be a crime because I know they've always wanted him to play his entire career here and set any records that he's going to set
6: at right. the capital,
3: but give him the opportunity to go to another team – and compete for a second Stanley Cup, because for him to be, you know, he's arguably amongst the five greatest um, hockey players, certainly amongst the the three or four greatest scorers ever. But when you look at his resume and you see the only, the one Stanley Cup, you start to wonder, like, you know, what happened? Roger? Well,
4: the, 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 uh, let's talk, stay with hockey, and, uh, about the uh, Flyers. I mean, look at the disaster season they had. They're going to have a new coach, the general manager's uh, on the fence. And uh, do you follow the Flyers uh, still, Mike, since you're from the area?
3: I still follow the Flyers. I love the Flyers. It was a season that, you know, you came in with a bunch of hope that it was a relative. They had some pieces in there, and you thought that this would be a team that got good, and it just never really worked for them. And they had some really disastrous stretches at points in the season. I think, what, they didn't they didn't win a game between October and, like, January? Yeah. So, like, you, it's yeah. tough to compete. Um, I think the best thing that you can say about the Flyers' season right now is they'll get a chance to they, – they got – a pretty nice haul as much as they could from the um, from the Drew move. And, you know, they can restock their farm system and hopefully, hopefully under the right leadership, they can use these pieces, put it together and start to field a contending uh, team in the next couple of years because the NHL wants Philly to be, as successful as possible, right? You know, they may not be one of the original six teams, but they're a historic franchise. Philly's a great hockey market, and I'm sure that the NHL would prefer that the Flyers were competitive as opposed to a situation where they've got this year where the Flyers, and let's not forget Montreal, the defending, if you will, Eastern Conference champions, are both well out of playoff contention, and we've still got a month left to play.
1: Mike Zimmer, our guest, is always uh, in one segment during the course of our Wednesday night program, and he's down in the Washington D.C. area, Baltimore, Washington. And I think this is going to be a little bit ahead of your time, but in, uh, in my particular case, one of my mentors for the NBA and, and uh, a guy that I had such great respect for uh, passed away yesterday at 70 years of old, uh, 90 years of age, Gene Shu. and uh, he won 784 games in total. As the head basketball coach for the Washington or for the Baltimore Bullets and the Washington uh, franchise, and also with the 76ers, he took uh, the Bullets to uh, uh, finals but did not win. He took the 76ers to a finals and did not win uh, both in '71 and '77. And, 77. and uh, just a great, great guy. And uh, but I think he's a little before your time down in that Washington, Baltimore area, didn't he, Mike?
3: Uh, well yeah he he predates me in this area um, one because I'm not that old number two uh, I just moved down here about ten years ago, so i wasn 't really paying attention to the Washington uh, franchise much before that uh, to, to to cover them so but I do know that you know he is one of the coaches that uh, one of the most important fran- coaches of that franchise, and you are correct when you comment on what he meant to them and, you know, his passing has been um, discussed here and what he meant to the franchise and it's a franchise that hasn't uh, either in Baltimore or um, D.C. made it to a lot of NBA finals. I think they've only got the one NBA championship under Wes Unseld in the 70s, so um Gene is an important coach for this franchise. Mike, are you familiar with the late, great
4: Dave Zinkoff, the longtime Warriors and Sixers PA announcer? No, that's a name that I'm not familiar with, I'll admit. Okay, well, you've been to the Wells Fargo Center, and you know Zinkoff Drive is right there. Yes. Well, Dave Zinkoff was probably the best NBA PA announcer in history, at least my opinion, and he had some great descriptions when players would score. And for Gene Shoe, it was two for Shoe. And then exactly uh, going right. back further, you had uh, with the uh, uh, with the, the Sixers with Wilt, you had the the Dipper, okay, the Big Dipper. And then uh, you had uh, for uh, Jack George on those old Warrior scenes, by George. So you had all these different uh, expressions that he developed. And uh, I know Frank's familiar with them. Don's familiar with them. And Don did the Sixers. Dave was still doing the P.A., right, Don?
1: Oh, absolutely right, and uh, Gene was just a terrific guy. We traveled all over the country with him, and he lost the uh, most difficult uh, final we were at there in Portland, as everybody will remember, and Daryl Dawkins got into that uh, little fight at the end of uh, the Sixers. looked like they were going to roll and win, it and win it, and they wound up losing in six uh, because of the regrouping of Portland after the fight with Daryl Dawkins, and so Gene lost his uh, second chance to get a an NBA championship played five great years with the Detroit Pistons. He was an all-star. Uh, he was an all-star coach, an all-star guy. Uh, one of the nicest people you'd ever want to be with. And, uh, so I just wanted to take a moment or two to, uh, to remember Gene Shue, who was such a great guy.
6: Oh, he was. You
4: know, uh, Mike, um, let's go to hockey if we can. Uh, I wanted to talk, ta- uh, just discuss, uh, the Philadelphia Union undefeated, four and zero, leading the uh, the uh, league, so to speak, their, their division, and uh, the uh, Atlanta United three and one. The question I have is about uh, Charlotte. We seem to think that Charlotte would follow the United in their development, but obviously, it doesn't appear that way,
3: does it? Well. <laughs> To be honest, um, you're right. Philadelphia is sitting atop uh, the Eastern Conference standings. Uh, of remember, they're on a four-game winning streak. They did draw their first game of the season, so but they're on a four-game winning streak and they're just playing some incredible stuff right now. Charlotte's gotten off to uh, they've won two, um, but they've lost four. It is hard in MLS uh, to accomplish what. Atlanta United, Um, you have to have a great organization from top to bottom. And we spoke about at length when they came into the league just how much money Arthur Blank was able to invest and willing to invest in the infrastructure that enabled them to be successful. He went right off the bat, um, got Carlos Bocanegra, the former U.S. Men's National Team captain and legendary player for this team, Uh, installed him as the president, allowed him to set up a fantastic scouting department, which uncovered some really great uh, South American uh, talent that had been otherwise overlooked in the form of, uh, Josue Martinez and um, and Miguel Almiron, right? And they were able to use that to just come out of the blocks and that core of that team just, just come out of the blocks and be competitive from day one. Well, the rest of the league took note and started doing similar things. So that made it harder for, them to ha- for a new team to have that sort of advantage that Atlanta did, uh, despite the fact that Charlotte has now – set the attendance record for a single game in uh, Bank of America Stadium. uh, I'm sure it won't be long before Atlanta United gets that back, by the way. But uh, I don't know that they've had the financial investment, that their ownership group has the financial capital to make the sort of moves that Arthur Blank made when he was building this team. So they've come in... With, uh, you know, without the same level of talent that Atlanta United did, and they're going through growing pains. We saw that with the last couple of MLS teams that came in, in the form of uh, Cincinnati and Minnesota. You know, Both teams struggled a little bit in their first couple of years, and that's more the archetype for an expansion franchise in MLS or you know, just in general. You know, Not every team is going to be Atlanta United or not every team is going to be LAFC where they're going to just be able to come in with the financial backing, such a strong infrastructure scouting network in place and be able to sign some of these players that nobody else finds. Uh, the other thing about it is the margins, as we've talked about, are very, very thin in MLS. You can buy a player, you can get a player. And for whatever reason, he just doesn't work out, and uh, things go south, and you just don't perform as well as you, you would like to. I talked about this with regards to the union, how you know sometimes they've made signings and off-season additions who just haven't worked out, and the parts haven't fit together, yeah. and you end up with a subpar season. Now, fortunately, over the last you know I would say three years everything's worked out perfectly and they have become one of the better franchises in MLS and the Otis is going to be on Jim Curtin this year. They've gotten off to a fantastic start. They're playing great. Andre Blake has reestablished himself as probably the best goalkeeper in MLS. Uh, their defense is given up next to nothing. Uh, they're scoring goals and they're, Um, big offensive signing Michael Murray has just started to get in the form and start to start and become a starter for the team. So we look and say, you know, at least through this the the, the union are in a really really good position but this is going to be one of those years where they have set the expectations at the beginning of the season that uh, they need to be in the playoffs and competing for a championship and Winning a trophy has been an issue for Philadelphia in the past. Mike, what about on the international
1: scene? What's happening uh, of interest there? Uh, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of soccer being played. What, do we can, what can we talk about tonight?
3: Well, let's start with this: the uh, draw for the World Cup was on Friday, and we we know pretty much for the most part, most of the teams that are going to be playing in the World Cup. There were a couple of placeholders teams. Let me interrupt to Mike just to
1: say Washington scored again and now leads 3-1. Go ahead. With uh, 4.30 to go in the first period.
3: So the World Cup draw was on uh, Friday, and uh, we know most of the teams, there were a couple of placeholders for playoff spots that will be uh, conducted in June. But we know the bulk of the thirty two teams, and the groups were drawn uh, the u s finds themselves in Group B for the World Cup, where we will have England, the uh, Iran, and the winner of the European playoff, which right now um, in June, the Ukraine uh, will play Scotland in Scotland. This was originally supposed to be played uh, this month in, or in March in Uh, The Ukraine but due to the war uh, Clearly it can't be played there Uh, And then the winner of that game will face Wales so the US can face one of uh, Wales Ukraine or Scotland Uh, At first look uh, It looks like group where The US can be competitive and hope to get out into the knockout stages Uh, England were England's going to be tough. They are a team that made the semifinals of the World Cup in Russia, and they were the beaten finalists in the Euros uh, last year. Uh, Iran does have some quality players, and that game is going to bring up a lot of uh, images of 1998 when the U.S. was favored in France to be amongst the competitors for the the title and, and ended up finishing dead last. Uh, And one of the games that we lost was uh, to Iran in our second game. We lost that 2-1. That was the only goal we actually scored the entire 1998 World Cup tournament. And then uh, Wales, uh, Scotland, or Ukraine, all of whom are going to be tough for the U.S. to beat, but beatable. So I think... You know, it's still a long way off. We don't know who exactly is going to be playing, who's going to be hurt, um, what the team composition is going to look like. But it could yeah. have been a whole lot worse uh, for the U.S. As far well, as the I'm other gonna... teams in the... Go ahead, Robert. Go, go ahead, Mike. Well, I was going to say, as far um, as the other teams um, in this region, Canada finds themselves in a really interesting group where – uh, they'll have Belgium, Morocco, and Croatia. Uh, Croatia, the beaten finalists in Russia. Belgium, who has been one of the top teams in the world for a long time, but kind of underperformed. Morocco um, has some really good players, but they're um, not exactly the, 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 the most fancied side. I actually think Canada is a dark horse to look for, and I wouldn't be surprised if Alfonso Davies... Uh, the Canadian player, ends up being one of the players of the tournament. Um, and uh, Mexico finds themselves in a group with Poland and Argentina, so it'll be really interesting to see how they hold up that group. I'm Mike Zimzak, our
1: special guest, as always, that he's a, a, a soccer expert not only on the local front, but obviously the international scene as well, has seen more and witnessed more games probably than any of us together all together. Uh, Roger, you're up.
4: Well, I was just going to say, uh, looking at the uh, hockey game, uh, Caps are up 3-1 uh, to one now. Um, you know, Mike, I was thinking about this, watching the game, thinking about you. The beautiful Capitol Center in Landover, Maryland. Is the building still there? No, uh, that's been
3: demolished. Oh, what's there now, you know? I'm not even a hundred percent sure, probably some sort of mixed use shopping center. Okay. Because I'll tell you, I used to love to go
4: to the Capitol center and, uh, the, uh, it was just uh, to uh, to me, one of the nicest um, arenas that I had ever been in. And this goes back obviously to the uh, late seventies, uh, early eighties and, you know, pretty new there. But, uh, uh, it was amazing. The people you would see. And, uh, as I recall, Larry King was there a lot. And, uh, among others, well, he went to all the
1: games there, Roger.
4: He did. And uh, he, yeah, I was, he was a uh, giant, he jump. was a
1: giant sports fan. He went to, he went to the games everywhere, whether they were football, baseball, basketball, and you're right. He, he, a, he came to, he went to the cap center all the time,
4: all the time. And, and then he'd go and do his show with on mutual, But I always remember one of his great stories about with Sandy Koufax, because they were uh, buddies. And uh, the group of guys went all the way to Connecticut to go to a car valve. Do you remember that story, Don? I know Mike's too young. I sure do. It was one of the great stories about uh, what they did. They went all the way to Connecticut to get ice cream from Brooklyn. And, uh, Let me
1: interrupt Roger to say that the Lightning have now scored again. It's now 3-2 three, three, with two, three yeah. twenty four to go in the first period.
4: Yeah, and the Phillies uh, beat the Rays today in their final ex, uh, preseason game. Uh, they killed them. 9-2, uh, right?
3: Yeah, they killed them, yeah. Yeah, yeah the Phillies had so, a uh, – I, I don't want to – I think the Phillies have had a – I would think the Phillies have had a halfway decent
2: preseason.
6: Well, they have.
4: Yeah, they have, and it's going to be interesting to see uh, how they do, and if the pitching holds up, we talked to Roy about it, but um, did I hear something today that the uh, Redskins, not the Redskins, the Commodores are going to go to a 3-4 defense? Did you hear that, Mike,
3: or not? Um, You know, I hadn't checked in on them, so I hadn't heard that. um, Given that they have they're, they're very set up for a four three it would a okay. little bit surprise me when you ha, if they were to do that but it wouldn't surprise me too much right now though know, they traded away matt ionitis so um they have have uh Payne and jonathan allen so my question would be if you're going to go to a Uh, 43 who's going to be the extra down lineman and then where do you see them playing where where do you anticipate playing montez sweat and uh chase young when he returns and one of the weaknesses of that team uh, of that defense has been middle linebacker. so if they're going to go to a 4-3 Or or a three-four, I wonder where they're going to get a middle linebacker. Which is just not to say that they wouldn't do it. Wonder if they have the personnel and the coach
1: to do it.
3: Well, yeah. What are they projected? What are their projections
1: for the draft?
3: Their projections for the draft right now are all over the place. Um, From and the big question is going to be when when they get to the number 12 pick which the, the the commanders have is one of the quarterbacks there and do they like him this is a team that has any number of holes to fill uh they need a wide receiver to complement Terry McLaurin they're going to need some reinforcements on the defensive line or I'm sorry the offensive line because Brendan Sheriff went and Eric Flowers was cut so you know they need some help on the offensive line Uh, linebacker was an issue they drafted Jamin Davis last year in the first round thinking he was going to be the answer at middle linebacker only to find out that he was probably a better outside linebacker than a middle linebacker Uh, the secondary they need help again they let Landon Collins go they did not uh, retain Bobby McCain, McLean, but they're going to need cornerbacks. This is a team that ha- has any number of needs, so they could go in a lot of directions. And I think their strategy is going to be to look at you know who is the best player available at a position a need that we have, and go in that direction. I, unlike a lot of people, am not sold that Carson Wentz deal means that they won't take a quarterback in the first round. I don't know that they're necessarily looking there, but if one of the highly rated guys falls to number 12 and they have an opportunity to take, say, a Malik Willis out of Liberty, uh, knowing that right now there is not a major commitment beyond this year to Carson Wentz, I could really see them going quarterback and saying, you, you know, at least we know we have this guy in the building and worst-case scenario, we can trade him on later on down the road and recoup some of the picks. Well, how about
1: the it coach, though? He, he, he had two years to war, He had two years where he had sort of a free ride. Uh, I would think now it's going to be at a point where uh, Washington's going to have to make a decision. Are they gonna, and also, secondarily, they had another front office problem again, more, more uh, difficulty with the harassment of people in the front office this last week.
3: Well, okay, so off the field, yes, it continues to be a mess. There's another allegation of harassment, and then over the weekend, of right. on Saturday, it also broke that there was an ongoing issue with them under-reporting ticket revenue to the... NFL. Correct. Now, they, the, the team has come out and said that the reports are false, and anybody who says that is committing perjury, but I heard the gentleman... <laughs> Who wrote the report saying look we're not basing this report on just uh, personal testimony of, of, of the one front office official there are documents that go along with this that demonstrate what we're saying so we're going to stand by our report it's going to come out that they may or may they, that that there is, may be some financial irregularities in the amount of revenue that they've been reporting now I don't know how related this is to what they report to the NFL, but Jason. Let me just
1: interrupt to say uh, uh, it's now four to two, uh, Washington as the first period comes to an end.
3: Go ahead. Yeah, I'm thinking this one's going to be like that uh, Toronto game that ends up uh, ten to eleven by the end of it at the rate that these guys teams are scoring doesn't look like much defense is being played right now. Uh anyway, um I don't know how much is related to uh this report of what revenue they're showing to the NFL. I do know that Jason Wright, the president of football operations, has said that they started finally correctly reporting publicly the uh, the ticket sales. So they've gotten off this idea that they had 30-year waiting list and uh, over-reporting ticket sales publicly. So that's at least what they're putting out in the press uh, hasn't jived for a long time with what we're seeing. We know um, that there are a lot of empty seats and a lot of tickets on the secondary market. And for at least the past two years, uh, very often, away fans have outnumbered uh, home fans at FedEx Field. And we, you still, even then, are at maybe uh, 5 eighths, 5 sevenths full, you, you know, 50,000 in a 75,000 seat arena. So you're not even, you're, you're what, two thirds full. So it'll be interesting. Uh, Again, you know, Congress also investigating these things off the field. Roger Goodell naming the commanders in one of his remarks as as, uh, a franchise that, you know, they've had some issues with. So it's going to be interesting to see how this develops and if it continues to develop, because we all know that, you know, Congress goes in a different direction in November. By January, these... And these uh, investigations haven't been settled by January. They could all just disappear.
1: Hey, Mike. Well, the, they, uh, they took a goal off the boards down Mike. there in Washington. It's still back to three to two again. Roger, go ahead.
4: I got a, I'm going to
2: say, uh, I got a question for Mike. Uh, go for it, the, Mike. There's six. Yeah, there's six state attorneys that filed uh, this morning uh, against the uh, Washington Capitals or uh, they, they're doing a, a total investigation on the sexual harassment uh, and, and of both male, female, and uh, of uh, other problems. How does that affect the, uh, the, the people down in Washington? Are they
3: looking at that or not? It's, it's hard. At this point, every new thing that comes out, everybody's just like – all right, and um it was very telling a couple of weeks ago, about a week ago, maybe two uh, they changed broadcast partners and they announced on the on the radio show the morning show that the a m station that had been carrying their games pretty much forever uh. Uh, the, the fan, Wfan was no longer going to be doing it, and the natural reaction was, oh yeah, let en- yet another corporate sponsor that dropped the Redskins when it was actually the Skins that dropped them. Um, they got a better offer for their radio well, media broadcast, so they took it. All right, uh, that those things happen. People have almost become numb to the off-field situations, but it does affect. Certainly the perception of the team, its ability to attract investment, its ability to have its choice of where to move. Uh, We've talked at length on this show about the stadium issue, and we saw where uh, Virginia right now has put up a a serious package in three sites, none of which are particularly near the D.C. Mm. metropolitan, none of which are particularly near the area, right? Um, We're talking probably well over an hour in, in, in good traffic to get out to these areas from certain parts of the region. Uh, but that's the most likely, because Virginia is the only team, place that wants them. Maryland said no. And D.C., where mm-hmm. they should be playing, they you know, we're not going to deal with them as long as we have these issues to deal with. We also mm-hmm. see it on the field. One of the reasons why they made the trade for Carson Wentz that they made, and everybody agrees that they overpaid to get him, was because they didn't feel as though they could attract players. They can't get free agents. Mm-hmm. The agents keep talking about the fact, like, you, you see all the off-the-field news, all the turmoil, all the investigations. This is not a franchise mm-hmm. that's stable enough that you want to play for. So they're playing what we call the bad franchise tax. <laughs> they're having to overpay for players, and they had to make this trade for Carson Wentz, who was probably going to get released, just so they could be assured that they actually had a starting quarterback because they didn't feel confident that they could attract a quarterback or any players otherwise.
6: Mm-hmm.
3: Roger? Well, you
4: know, you know, Mike, getting back to their radio situation, that does
3: make sense. They probably went to uh, – uh, they haven't announced who it was that they went with um, the, the, uh, the Odyssey who had the rights has both an FM and an AM station okay uh, so if it had been like that but uh, what Odyssey said was they had a monetary value that they were willing to pay and Washington wanted more than that and so they said no we're not going to do this and the commander said okay Um, I can understand, you know, radio broadcasts aren't worth as much as they used to be. You know, people don't tend to listen to games as much on the radio as they used to. Um, No question. There have been issues with the various stations and the Redskins over coverage. You know, the stations feeling like they want the ability to have more access to uh, players and, and coaches and personnel, and also at the same time have the right to criticize the team when they feel right. like they deserve it. And the Washington, right. uh, commander saying, you know, if you're going to be our flag station, if you're going to carry our games, you, you should cover not only the games, but the teams the way that we want you to.
4: Right. Yeah, that's what I had heard. And, of course, uh, TEM used to be owned by uh, Dan Snyder when he had Red Zebra Broadcasting. And he had a number of stations, including TEM. And uh, for those of us old enough, like uh, Frank Don and I, TEM 980 was a legendary station, Uh, one Mm -hmm. of the original NBC-owned stations, WRCAM. And uh, just to give you an idea, uh, some of the people uh, they had the Joy Boys at night, which was uh, Ed Walker and Willard Scott, the legendary Willard Scott. And I mean, it was just a great station uh, back in its day. But I think what, like you said, uh, Odyssey was not going to put up with having to be controlled on content about the about the Commodores. Well, I'll say something
1: about – one thing about radio and television, uh, I didn't didn't bring this up earlier, but Timmy McGarver announced his uh, uh, retirement. Uh, He uh, did not work during the uh, uh, COVID last year in St. Louis. He was doing the uh, color on a number of of St. Louis games. He went back there after years. And, uh, of course, where he first started his baseball career. And he announced this week that this would –
6: Uh, he
1: was going to officially retire from baseball. He was not going to be involved in this year. And uh, so mixing that with the radio broadcast, you're talking about Roger and and Mike. uh, When KMOX gives up baseball, and that's when we're going to have to turn in our badges because they're the last last desperate of, of what we remember as growing up with kids, KMOX had everything. That's
4: right. They, the uh, Everything is right. And the uh, I did, the, uh, the Cardinals did sign Albert Pujols for his final year, and Molina's going to retire this year, so they're going to go out together. But I'll tell you, Don, Larry Anderson's only going to do 40 Phillies games, 40 home games. And they had him on the morning show on WIP today. But as I said to you the, the other day, and and Frank, you'll you're, and uh, Mike, you'll love this. Bob Euchre, eighty-eight years <coughs> old, still going strong doing the Brewers.
1: Young I fella, was, yeah, yeah, a I, young fella,
3: right. I I, I did not know that Bob Euchre was still around. Oh, yeah, he
1: yes. is. Oh, he's, yes, he is. He but he had never left the. You know the brewer. He's been there for almost forever since he retired from uh, from playing and being in broadcasting. And as Roger and I talked about earlier this week, uh, the shows that he did with Johnny Carson and, and uh, everybody else on on national TV, and uh, he made that seat up at the top of the uh, top of the stadium famous. <laughs> that was where he. Always, that's where they always put him, Roger. Right.
3: That's right, Miller Light, best seat in the house. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Every time I think
3: of Bob Euchre, though I think of a line from Major League high and just a bit outside <laughs>
4: Well I'll tell you I I was telling Don this story Mike and Frank that uh, I was when I was uh, traveling and doing training years ago uh I uh, would do my weekly show on the road if I was on the road and I'd have the Gentner with me and a mic and headset and everything and uh, I was at Fenway Park on a Friday night, and I had asked uh, Bob Starr, who uh, did the Cardinals games, the Angels, the Red Sox, and he was doing the Red Sox. And back in the se- early 70s, he was the sports director at uh, wbz tv And I met him only one time. And uh, But Bob Eucher was there because the Brewers were playing. So I had asked both of them if they would come when I was doing the show 6.05 to 7. The game didn't start till 7.30. So Bob uh, Starr came. We had a nice conversation. And Bob Euchre was very apprehensive about coming. He didn't know me from Adam. And, uh, but he when he saw that I had Bob Starr, he came. And I got to tell you, I shut up. I, they just went back and forth. I told Don a story. One of the great lines was, Bob Starr said to Euchre, Hey, Bob, I guess you were in St. Louis for the 100th anniversary of Cardinals baseball. Oh, yeah, yeah, Bob, I was. But the, the cab driver took me to this uh, Spruce and Goose. Uh, there's no ballpark there. And he said, <laughs> well, yeah, but that's the old Sportsman's Park site. Did he take you to Bush Stadium? Well, yeah, but there was like a statue there of me, but it had the wrong number on it. He said, what number was that, six? And he says, yeah, that's Stan Musial. And, and this thing went <laughs> on and on. It was just, I mean, it was wonderful. And, and just two guys, you know, and Bob Starr would set Bob Euchre up. And, I mean, there was nothing I could do but just go back and forth with the microphone and keep my mouth shut.
1: I'll tell you, the best story I have on Bob Euchre when he was with the Phillies. And this is years ago, of course, at Connie Mack Stadium. And the Phillies dressed, they came out, and uh,
6: <clears throat>
1: Bob Euchre was there. He, and the bus is there to take him back. And he goes, uh, gets in the bus, and Bob Euchre drives away. <laughs>
6: <And>
1: <laughs> nobody, nobody knew where the bus was. Nobody knew where the, uh, where to play, how the players were going to get back to the hotel. And Euchre just took the bus and drove away with it.
4: <laughs> oh, oh, I'll tell you what, and he's got some books out too. Uh, you know, I'll tell you <laughs>
6: what,
4: what what a life. But I give him a lot of credit because I was going to call in this morning and say, to Larry Innocent you got some nerve of uh, saying you're retiring when you're doing forty games when a guy eighty eight years old's doing like <laughs> almost a whole season.
1: Yeah, he, he's uh, he was a lot like. Uh... Vince Scully, and the fact that he did a lot of it alone. And, yeah, uh,
6: that's what right. did, yeah. yep. A couple he other did. things yeah. we could
1: throw into tonight's show that we haven't talked about is that uh, LeBron James is going to miss the playoffs for the first time in a long time. The Lakers were eliminated last night, and uh, I'll tell you, I, I still haven't understood why the Lakers have been on so many ties this year because they're a terrible team, and uh, they lose most of the time. And yet, the, the big, uh, you know, most of the time you see him at uh, either 10 o'clock at night or you see him on Saturday or Sunday. And I guess just because LeBron James is there is the reason they're putting the games on because I, I can't imagine my one of the you want to follow the Lakers.
3: It's no, a combination of the fact that it's the Lakers and it's LeBron James. Um, if it wasn't for that, you know, let's be honest. The Lakers are one of the biggest name franchises in the NBA, um, they're certainly the main franchise on the West Coast. They have a oh, massive, absolutely. Ma- massive following. And LeBron James, of course, is one of the biggest brands in the NBA. Uh, so, it doesn't surprise me that they're on and whether, you know, there are two types of people in the world. There are the people who love the Lakers and the people who hate them. So it doesn't matter. You're always going to get viewers because you're going to get people who want to see them win. And then you're going to get the people who hate them, who want to see them lose.
1: Yeah. The Warriors took a little bit of their luster, uh, when Curry came in and became such a dynamic player. And when Kirk took over as the coach and, uh, they put those back to back championship seasons together. And, uh, uh, so, you know, and a big controversy, well, I should say controversy, the big discussion uh, a month or so ago was, uh, you know, is uh, LeBron going to leave the Lakers and not play next year with the Lakers? And uh, he sort of let that hang up in the air for a week or two, and then he said, absolutely not. I'm the Los Angeles Lakers next year. I'm not going anywhere.
3: We've heard him say that before until uh, Penn is put to dotted line. I don't believe anything because I still remember <laughs> – I, I still remember a TV show from over a decade ago where he announced that he was taking his talents to South Beach. So until he puts his uh, his pen to paper and signs, um, I, I, I I don't know. Um, and even if he does, it's only going to be a uh, a two a two year deal. It's not going to be anything long term. Hey guys, before I go, I know Doug's coming up in in just a minute. I do want to bring up one thing um i was at a ceremony on monday where my wife sonia was named the dietitian of the year for the state of maryland
4: oh congratulations <laughs> yeah. her and
3: you that's very good. That's good very good yes great job so i just wanted to bring that up and congratulate her she's done a well, lot. i'm of very time.
1: very happy you did bring it up for congratulations and number two uh, I'm glad we didn't interrupt your dinner tonight. It was very nice that we had that chance to chat with you and go over so many different topics. Yeah. <laughs> well,
4: Mike, what, what restaurant were you eating at
3: last week? <laughs> we were down at uh, Labor 2 on Passyunk in South Philly. Okay, okay. <laughs> I don't know if a was there. Go ahead. All right, we're I going
1: back to Baltimore you... again. We're going to leave Mike, and we're going to go to, Mike, to our good friend's
6: Take Doug care. Hamilton right, the... is ready
1: to go and, and Doug, the biggest week mm. in golf is uh, underway. Uh, uh, they're hoping for a little bit better weather. I don't know if you've been watching if you're working at the, at the club and I know you don't get a chance to see as much as we do in, on the Golf Channel but uh, it looks like the first couple of days are going to be a little bit shaky but a lot of difference <laughs> of opinion about who's going to win and also the major discussion obviously
5: about Tiger. Yeah, I mean he's He's always front and center uh, when you talk about golf, and, and um, thirty-five you know, thousand there to see him play Bundy. Thirty-five thousand. Yeah, I mean it's you know five-time green jacket winner. Um, you know biggest biggest draw in sports. I mean there's there's no uh, there's no Phil Mickelson there this week, and um, you know he was there, and that was all the uh, circulation of discussion whether he was going to play or not, or whether he was there just to. You know, be with his son, play some practice rounds, maybe do the par three, or be a part of the champions dinner. Um, you know, but he says he feels good enough to play, so you know, let let the betting odds begin.
4: You know, you well, it's, it's the interesting
1: campaign. because uh, the, the the top has changed. Uh, you know, you look at Rom, you think, well, Rom's going to carry on us, uh, on top for maybe four or five or six months at least. Yeah. <laughs> but it did, it's not turning out that way. It's never top every every two months, every month and a half.
5: Sure. Well, I mean, look, they've um they've made quite a few changes to the grounds in terms of the, you know, the they were talking about the 15th hole in the golf channel the other night and how they, you know, moved it back uh, some 20 30 yards and how right, you know, even if you hit a really good tee ball now, you're going to have a you know, a more difficult second shot into a relatively easy par five but a choice to make because it's over the water um they've changed some other different holes around to you know what i didn't know is that a lot of the proceeds from the masters uh that goes to augusta whether it's i mean i, I think that the concessions uh of of merchandise in those you know tents and food and stuff that that goes to the club but there's some other exclusive whether it's the TV money they make or or whatever but apparently Augusta National has to put that back into the actual club itself they have to spend that money and it's like you know i mean what do you do with how many millions of dollars on a yearly basis when it comes to okay you have to spend this so whether it's you know doing different things to the golf course or the grounds or the buildings or you know whatever i mean it's it's all paid for uh, so they have play money to toy around with when it comes to saying, okay, well, you know, gosh, we, uh, we don't like these trees the way they are. We're going to fix these or we're going to put new turf down here or we're going to do the driving range or, we're, you know, whatever, you know, that's a pretty nice budget.
4: <laughs> well, they give a budget. lot of charity too. Okay. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and you know, I always was a fan of Billy Payne, uh, who was the chairman for, uh, uh, many years and he was the chairman sure. of the Atlantic uh, uh, Atlanta uh, organize, the uh, Olympic organizing committee mm-hmm. but I'll tell you I've always enjoyed their uh, app because today there was a uh, one of the many pictures is Sergio Garcia uh, with his wife and kids walking the first uh, hole and the kids mm-hmm. are ru- running around and what's interesting mm-hmm. is all of the uh, family have the white, uh, the, um, mm. uh, what do they they call them? What's like, the jumper? What, the, the, it's a, yeah, a caddy jumper. Yeah, well, they're, yeah, but they, we used to call them uh, like lube uh, uh, suits, you know, for mm-hmm. lubrications uh, in the sure. uh, petroleum industry. But uh, I just thought that was great. And then Tom Watson's mm-hmm. going to be, what, the honorary – uh, mm-hmm. Open it up, and uh, but sure. they they do a great job, and uh, but I'll tell
5: you, uh, uh, Doug,
4: have you ever been there to to yes. the uh, National?
5: I've been there one time. Um, you know, it's um, it's a it's a trek to get there um, with traffic, and you know, once you're there, you know, parking is always its own you know, journey, and then, you know, once you you get inside, I mean, I can technically go any year I want to. The PGA of America, my my membership card allows me entrance into, I don't even have to go to the general gates. I get to go to my own special, you know, area where they make you sign your name and write your member number, and, you know, they give you all these, you know, do's and don'ts in terms of um, how to act and what you can and can't do, and, you know, the transferable, non-transferable rather nature of the ticket. So, um, you know, when you get on the grounds, I mean, it's um, incredibly beautiful. And and the, the the television doesn't do it any justice um, with elevation changes or undulations or things that you, you can see on TV, but you don't really appreciate until you're there in person. Um, I mean, I can tell you that I went, um, the year I went, I saw like the last – maybe two holes, uh, Tiger played with um, Marco Mira, his, his buddy. And when they teed off on 18, it, it is so dark. You can't see that on TV, but it is so dark on that 18th tee box. I mean, you could literally develop film there. You know what I mean? It's. It, I mean, you know, and that – it is it is tighter than a mouse's eardrum when you hit it off of that tee box because of those trees that overhang and on the right and left. I mean it's that's that's quite a daunting tee shot, very much so.
4: Well, it's a, a beautiful jewel in the
5: middle of a not so nice neighborhood. I mean well, that is uh, true, but but Roger, to that, that point some of your some of your most incredible golfing, mean, Pine Valley is another good example although I've never been there, I've heard stories, but Augusta, um, there's probably countless examples of you're basically driving down the, I don't even know what you would call it, but podunk or, or downtrodden or, or whatever areas and then all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the seas park and it's the most beautiful thing <laughs> you've ever seen. And, and a lot of your best golf
2: courses do that.
5: You know, they're like that.
2: Well, at least oh, spend I, a
1: lot
5: of money outside the tr- outside
1: of the golf course itself, too, because as you mentioned, parking was almost nonexistent, uh you know, because sure. it was in the neighborhood and, and so forth. But now they've taken over a lot of that yeah. property and, and uh, ripped it down and put parking lots yep. in now. And the other That's thing correct. I'd like to bring up, which is, to me, uh, almost unfathomable in this day and age. You go in and buy a, yeah. a soda or a shirt or a hamburger, you know, they don't mm-hmm. charge you $8, $9, you know. right. right. And, they charge you a little or almost nothing for the, you know, no, they're,
2: if you're
4: there. They're yes. Incredible. No, the, well, yeah, the, they the really the, uh, they keep all the uh, concessions at moderate Everything. prices that everybody can can afford. And I'll tell you, uh, on the app, uh, in the section from the press, boy, if this doesn't bring back memories, it has, it's in a, it looks like a Quonset hut and it's got, The uh, entire, there's a table or desk after desk, and what it is, it's a teletype machine in front of every reporter, male or female. Now, tell me how far many years that goes back, teletype Mm -hmm. machines.
1: Forever. (laughs) Forever,
4: it's
6: like,
1: (laughs) Doug, you, you were there. You've seen it on TV many times. One of the things you pointed out. Uh, which go back over. And that is the fact that they weren't concerned about Tigers being able to strike the ball and uh, play efficiently, even though he had the accident, What they were concerned about is because of the, uh, the architecture of the, of the golf course itself, the hills and valleys, that's what they were concerned about. Could he actually four days walk 18 holes over those kinds of conditions?
5: Well, you know, I've, I've made mention of this, uh, before on the show that, you know, some of your, you know, we'll call them better golf courses, but, uh, we'll call them with caddy golf courses. I mean, there's, there's a local course here in the Baltimore area that's of the national, you know, status. Um, they have local members, but a lot of their their membership is from all over the country that fly in and, you know, stay the weekend in their cottages and, and do their things there. Uh, and so, You know, playing there, I played there on a Saturday and a Monday and developed plantar fasciitis as a result of walking on what I deem to be non-flat or level surfaces where you feel like your feet are always at an angle or on the side of a hill or in a depression or or what have you. And, again, over the course of time that I've been on the show, I've talked about this. I mean, do people look at a lot of these professional golfers as – you know, um, less than in terms of, I wouldn't necessarily call them, I don't know if you want to call them an athlete or not, but they clearly fall into that category if some of them don't resemble that with body type. But, you know, to walk, I mean, most, most of the golf courses that you walk are going to be somewhere between four and six miles for 18 holes. And you do that four days in a row and obviously throw into the however many swings they're making plus. Uh, the different things that they're doing beforehand and and the practice regimen and the the feet you know the the walking and the pressure and 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 those sorts of things i mean you're you're talking about the potential of walking in excess of twenty miles for four days if you make that cut plus 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 so um you know in tiger's case obviously i they showed him today and they were they were breaking down his swing uh over the course of the last years. and um you know it was um uh, his uh, Stanford buddy, I, his name eludes me, uh, Nota Begay, uh, was was talking about, you know, the differences in some of the swing. And I, I kind of watched him hit a few shots. And to me, it's, you know, it's the same Tiger swing, but it's not quite um, his right side where he hurt his leg is just not allowing him to kind of push and, and be as aggressive as, as he used to be. So it'll be interesting to see, uh, to your point, Don, how he gets around the golf course uh, from you know a physical standpoint of cardio and, and and pain management if that's a problem, uh, but also how that affects um, as he as he plays day one, day two, mm-hmm. if he makes the cut, day three, into uh-huh. some of those back nines where he he might struggle a little bit, um, you know, with with uh, the movement of his body.
6: Well, he well, he spent a lot of time
1: last night uh, on on the golf channel. I, I was surprised that that he hung in there as long as he did answering questions mm-hmm. about, you know, sure. what his routine is, is of getting up in the morning and the, and the team that he yeah. has working with him to get him physically ready to go mm-hmm. out practice. And then what yeah. happens when he comes in and the team sure. goes back to work to get him back ready to play the next day. Uh, but as you indicate, I think he's going to have a very, very tough time. Uh, you know, as you well, say, when well, you start walking that far uh, sure. and you're not accustomed to it, I think it's, well, but I, I love this it's answer. Not- when he, when he I, asked about that he come to, come to win, he, yeah, I came to win.
4: Well, yeah, I just wanted to say a couple things. When uh, my, uh, Doug, you were talking about, uh, you know, his mm-hmm. regimen getting up and everything. He's they, yeah. First of all, they tee off at 8 o'clock. That's the first mm-hmm. two. And then right. uh, Woods is with Osterhausen and Neiman at 1034. Then right. when you go all the way down, to the uh, last uh, uh, tri- trio to uh, tee off, it's Fitzpatrick, Copra, and mm-hmm. McElroy. That's at two oh three. So you're talking about sure. uh, six and hours and three minutes okay. later from when they had the uh, the initial tee off tomorrow. That's a lot. And also, of golf
1: Roger, it also sets them up <laughs> for the second day. They talked about this at the ten twenty three uh you know puts him in the best position to come back and play the the next day and uh time to get physically ready to go so uh, well, it, was, it, 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 uh,
4: what, it's I agree with that because if they had him early on like couples is in the early eight thirty three spot right. at eight o'clock uh you know my's uh, a number of them you know are <laughs> sing. You know, is uh, at 844. So I think they really, at Swafford's at 855. I think yeah, they really, really did him a favor uh, to help him with his pace uh, uh, for that first day.
5: Well, I think historically they've put, we'll say, some of the elder champions first off uh, on the first day. I don't know whether that's, um, you know, for any other reason other than, you know, look, you know, I mean, some of those guys aren't going to win the masters, you know, they've won the masters, but they're not going to win the masters. Um, You know, technology is, is so good nowadays with regard to uh, all these different, you know, devices, and and they probably take their, their, their trainers or chiropractors or all these different people in terms of, you know, um, the training room to get them ready for treatment. And, you know, whatever. I mean, there, he's prob I mean, he's got his regiment down pat with regard to how he gets himself ready from a pain management standpoint. It's not like he doesn't know what he's getting into. I think it's just a question of a, the severity of it, uh, which might be unknown, but, but I think that's also going to be a function of what the weather's going to be like. I think that, um, you know, I don't know whether the people earlier or later are going to have the benefit, you know, uh, you're talking about the weather. Well, Tomorrow supposed so, to be
1: rainy and, and 20 mile an hour winds. So that's, right. you know, hopefully so, by 10 o'clock they, they say it may, not, you know, it may be through, but they're expecting rain and, and 20 mile an hour winds throughout most of the first day and into the second right. day. Well, I can well, tell I mean, you look,
4: yesterday was brutal and we had rain today and uh, sure. it's supposed to continue because they've been doing bulletins uh, tonight on TV about mm-hmm. the weather here. Yeah.
5: Well, they they uh, they postponed the opening day for that. It was a three o'clock game. They moved it to seven. So, well, you know,
4: uh, Doug, what's interesting is uh, on the the, uh, the fir- first one seeing off tomorrow is uh, Alageball, okay? And uh, yeah, right. you know, yeah, I didn't know much about him uh, because you know you forget about it. But he won in '94 right. and '99, and he's six years old.
5: Sure. Well, that's, you know, as I mentioned, typically the, uh, you know, the it's not like, I mean, the, the masters, you know, as they say, is a tradition, unlike any other, I mean, they use the same pin placements, you know, every year, same day one, same day two, same day three, same day four. And their, their, their key time pairings. I mean, again, they're, they're going to put, you know, some of their past champions, uh, you know, that, that don't necessarily have a chance to win all first. Um, and that's what they've always done, you know. And also the fact
1: that, uh, it, it, you know, if you're in your, in your let's say, uh, Justin Johnson, for instance, right? Now his uh, his for average 18 hole strokes has gone up to two strokes over the last uh, six months or a year. Uh, mm-hmm. He won uh, in 20, but they're saying he's mm-hmm. going to have a very, very tough time winning this year. Because the differential between what he was playing when in, in in 2020 and what he's playing today, his best finish was third in the couples last week. But he's uh, yeah, that's amazing when you think about how they calculate all this. Where he's at a two-stroke sure. deficit to where he was.
5: Yeah, I mean, look, the the odds makers in any sport uh, are very good at what they do. Uh, but we've talked about you know, to me there there's two main factors of the masters. Number one, I mean, you have to look at the people uh, that are going into this week that are playing very well, you know, and, and those, you know, the the conditions again are going to dictate some of that, but um, you know, the, the, the green complexes and the short game and the putting and all those things I think are very significant in the masters, you know, obviously to be a major champion, you have to be a good ball striker, but you know, um, you know, the, the, the Masters itself, I mean, it's it's the only venue of a major championship that's played on the same golf, golf course every year. And so these, right. these guys, um, you know, historically, I mean, look, Tiger Woods has won it five times. I mean, you know, does, does he have an advantage there because he knows how to play that golf course really better than anybody in the field, you know? And there are people like that that we've seen over the course of time that, Mark O'Meara shouldn't have won the Masters, you know, the year he won it. I mean, look at some of the, the other guys that you would look at that say, okay, well, you know, how in the heck could he win the Masters? Well, he's played well there forever, you know. And, you know, it, it you know, I mean, people people would probably tell you that Jordan Spieth has a chance to win the Masters this year, you know, because he's won I it. Think he does. Well, I think, think he does. I think he does. Well, for two reasons. I think he
1: does because he knows how to shape the ball. I, you know, when you're there – uh, you know, you've got to be able to shape the ball and uh, get it on the right part of the green so that it's to your advantage when you have to make that first putt. Sure. And uh, that would... takes time to learn. They're just going back I mean, to your he... statement. Go ahead.
5: I, I would say as a PGA professional, looking at the face value of Jordan Spieth, he, he doesn't have any better chance to win there this year than Fred Couples does only from the sense that he has made some significant swing changes. When's the last time Jordan Spieth won a tournament? A year ago. You know, so I don't think he's playing particularly well. I mean, I don't know if, if he goes to bed tonight and something happens and, and wakes up tomorrow and says, oh, well, you know, holy crap, I'm playing, you know, uh, Augusta National. I've won here before, so now everything's going to, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, Jose Maria, uh, uh, Larry Myes, I mean all these guys have won there before, you know, but they're they're probably not. I mean they're not going to have a chance to win there. I mean, it's I, I don't know. I mean, I, I like um you know, from an odds standpoint, I mean, they're a couple what do you guys, like Smith? Smith? I like Smith. I like Victor Hoblin. Um
1: I like um, I like Hoblin a, like, uh, like a lot. I think I like he's a, a 20 Thomas. to 1, he's
5: pretty good bet. Well, and I'll tell you this. It, it's, it's been known uh, pretty much on tour that Tiger Woods is a tough guy to get. Um, like John Rahm had said something about Tiger Woods. He had tried to approach him and ask him some different questions about how he plays different shots or the Masters or these different things, and he he doesn't give him any help. But apparently Justin Thomas is like Tiger's protege. He He really spends a lot of time with him, and he really – and, like, he plays his practice rounds with him, if you notice. And, right. you know, if you look at any of the, you know, like whether it's the President's Cup, Ryder Cup, like those sorts of things, like he spends a lot of time with him. And I think, you know, he's invested a lot of his knowledge, which is, you know, worth a million dollars to Justin Thomas, who's already a, a – you know, he's an incredible player already. So, I, I mean, I like Justin Thomas, but, again, like, you know, I like Victor Hodlin, I like Cam Smith. Um, I mean, more callous than – been pretty good um you know i don't know i mean there's th- those would be some of the ones i would look at you know well as they just as Thomas I'm is uh,
4: that gentlemen when to give you some history i just researched uh the uh 1973 the reason is uh i think i mentioned before you know not that at night but the, I was uh, flying from Columbia, South Carolina to New York. We had to go through Augusta to Atlanta. And Pat Summerall, got on, he was uh, up in, in uh, first class. Everybody else was in coach. And that was delayed because of weather, okay? That, this is the 73 Masters. Tommy Aaron was only major title he ever won and he was one stroke ahead of J.C. Snead. Now, here's the thing that really got me that I had no idea. Gary Player played in 52 Masters from Mm -hmm. 57 to 2009 and only missed one, and that was
5: 1973.
6: Hmm. Isn't that
4: amazing? 52 Masters.
5: That's crazy.
1: That's crazy, Roger. You never can tell, Roger. You never can tell. You know.
4: Well, I think it's interesting that Tommy Aaron—that was the only uh, major he ever won—was that one Master.
5: <laughs> well, I mean, look. I mean, I, I, in in little, a, a little more than four years, I'll be fifty-two, and there's nothing that I can sit here and say to you that I've done for fifty-two years consecutively except for breathe. I mean, how can you play in 52 masters? That's crazy. It is.
4: 1957 to 2009.
5: And ironically,
4: he only missed that one in 73 because he had a, a leg and abdominal surgery. That's mm-hmm. amazing. And then in 74, oh. uh he uh won the second of his three jackets. The following mm-hmm. year he came back and that's when he won the second of three. I Gary Player, I'll tell you, he's a sum of golfer. Oh,
1: yeah. biggest yeah. disappointment when he lost that British Open a few years ago. <laughs> he had that, and he was on the 18th hole, and he had that one putt, and uh, just didn't put it in, and wound up losing it. But what a yeah. great, what a great, what a great spokesman for the game. What oh. a gentleman! What a great guy! You're exactly right. He's one of the class of the field.
4: Absolutely.
1: Yeah, we're we'll, going uh, to put Doug in see how he makes out down there. For,
6: you know what we didn't I talk
4: about at all, and, and while we still have Doug uh, about that yeah. uh, great uh, championship game on Monday night uh, in the mm-hmm. Superdome. I mean, uh, I'll tell you what, Don. Did you go to bed at halftime like you said you were, if it was a lousy no, game? No, no,
1: I st- I stayed for the whole game.
6: <laughs> uh, I, I was still, ready.
1: I was talking to my son at halftime. I said, and I, I agree, agree with Smith. He said, there's no way they can lose this game unless they turn the ball over. They turned it over five times in the first half, and they turned it over five times in the first 10 minutes of the second half to take them right down the drain. Wasn't yeah.
4: that amazing how Kansas came back down 15 mm-hmm. and turned it around? Uh, I was, yeah. was I, fantastic. I thought it was over with. It was. It was unbelievable. Well, the, I give self a lot of credit.
5: For that listen the the bigger story is uh i don't know if this is uh you know true or not but they're they're saying that bill Self is 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 likely to walk away from the kansas program i don't know what you guys have heard about that i have not well,
4: just, just to walk away and retire or go someplace well else?
5: he's no he's i think he's 59 and they were talking about some potential allegations against the kansas program with regard to violations and they were saying that that uh, Bill Self was going to, you know, I would I would guess right off into the sunset as a result of that. I, I, I don't know if that's true or not true.
1: Well, the Kansas hasn't been on. above – Kansas hasn't been above board for – go back to Will Chamberlain. <laughs> I mean, well, they, they've had their moments where they've paid out a lot of money. Fog well,
5: Allen. I was going to say, the, the bigger story here is the, the actual research into into collegiate <laughs> athletics with regard to recruits and – uh, the boosters and I mean, are these you know? There's countless um, examples. Whether it's you know Cam Newton or any of these guys, I mean, wh- why are people choosing to go to these specific universities? And you know, is there an actual flow of money that that's suggesting that they're going there for that reason? Or you know, Reggie Bush? I mean, look at look at some of these. You know, they're giving stuff to their parents, houses, money, whatever it is. Right. Um, right. You know how dirty is college sports, and 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 how um, how brave would someone be to to delve into that to figure out the answer to it? Well, i
6: will well, you, Doug. It, uh, Don they've got I the answer, but they don't want to
5: they don't want to publicize it.
6: We
4: were Don and I well, were talking about this the other day, Doug. Okay, uh, mm-hmm. the guy from uh, St. Peter's Holloway, he's going sure. to Seton Hall. Three of yep. his best players from St. Peter's have already gone into the transfer portal. So they will sure, be bro. playing at Seton Hall, okay? Big mm-hmm. East Conference. Then, yep. uh, just today, they, uh, I got the uh, announcement that the Xavier coach is now coming to uh, Georgia State. And, yeah. uh, the, uh, and they had won their conference, comp- I think what's the Sun Belt. The coach at Georgia State... I think is uh, I read that he's went to SMU, and uh, but I was I was uh, shocked that the coach uh, from Xavier, who I think just won the NIT title, is coming to Georgia State. To me, right. that's a step down. Okay, to come yeah. from uh, Xavier to uh, Georgia State. However, the guy is from Atlanta. Now it makes sense. Say.
5: Sure. I mean, that's there has to be is. some logical yeah. tie. Uh, into
1: hey, family the, or... the biggest thing we didn't touch on tonight so far in any of our conversations with everybody around the around the country is how about Notre Dame? Tennessee State, and uh, they're going to be the opening game for Notre Dame. The first all-black college that uh, and Notre Dame has uh, put them on the schedule for the first game. So uh, right. that's, that's a pretty big story. And George... From from Philadelphia originally, uh, uh, Roger uh, is is the coach there, I believe. Mm-hmm. Be. I think we I think yeah. we even honored him at the, at the Philadelphia Sports Writers a number of years Whoa. ago.
2: But
5: you know, Don, in in my opinion, that's that's some of the stuff that's wrong with you know college football in general. I mean, why why is Notre Dame playing against that school who has? little to no chance, I mean, that's a cupcake for them. And look, I understand the dollars behind it because collegiate sports is a business, I get that. But, you know, this is one of the reasons why we can't correctly determine a national championship because we play too many cupcake games on our schedule uh, instead of playing, you know, conference games or all these different things to make it fair across the board to say everyone's going to play this many games and we're going to do, you know, an 18 playoff instead of, you know, this other... BS of, of four teams or whatever uh, that we're going to do. So, y- you know that, that that's part of the reason why it's 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 not right. You know, in my opinion, you know. Well, as Nick Vitale says,
1: the cupcakes. Everybody, whether it's uh, basketball or football, and, and for years Temple was part of that cupcake uh, crowd because uh, we got when I was sure. working there and doing the games they would get five hundred thousand dollars to go to Birmingham and play Alabama. They get five hundred thousand. Sure they go to Penn State, or they give two for one. Uh, Penn yeah. State they had a little bit better deal because they'd give two for one. And uh, yeah. that was the only way the football program existed. Uh, that, that, that's right. the only way they had enough money to pay for the next season.
4: Well, and it, it wasn't only uh, covering football. It probably covered a lot of the uh, athletic program because the state did not want to foot the bill for uh, uh you know for uh, the the uh, of the three the three state schools Pittsburgh, Penn State and Temple, Temple is by far the weakest link. Wouldn't you say Don?
1: Well absolutely. Absolutely yeah. the weakest. And and uh, unfortunately, uh if it hadn't been for Dr. Leah Course, uh, who has since passed away, uh I mean you know, the Leah Course Center would not be there. Temple would still be playing out. In, in uh, the hinterlands, there, Temple Stadium, rather than uh, playing at we uh, well, at that time it wasn't uh, uh, was the Vet. And they played moved to the Vet first, and, and it, let's, let's face it, it's not advantageous. If you're a college student, it's not advantageous for your football team to play in a stadium like the Vet. It's never going over, and never going to go over. And but they it's don't right. have the money to build a stadium. They don't have the facilities to build a stadium. So the only way they can right. do it is by, you know, gerrymandering the schedule so that they get the money. Mm-hmm. Exactly.
4: Well, you know, the other thing is I know a lot of students that go from Philadelphia to Pittsburgh, but right. I doubt whether there's a lot of students from Pittsburgh going to Temple University. Mm-hmm. I It's more of a commuter school. I mean, it was 90% commuter when I was there. You know, which is a long time ago, but the uh, and they, you know, they've increased the dormitory space. But you know, when we were talking about the basketball team, I mean, they're having problems uh, drawing, uh, you know, and and getting good uh, good talent to that uh, program. I mean, John Chaney was successful, and and Fran Dunphy, uh, you know, had some, but I, uh, you know, you get very concerned that uh, it's ever going to. Uh, be be back where it was a a tremendous basketball program like it was when I was in high school. I mean, when they came in uh, third in the country, because when they had the NCAA tournament then, uh, the losers played the consolation game. And they had lost to uh, Kentucky and Vern Hatton. And then they they won uh, the consolation game. But that's when you had Guy Rogers, Bill Pickles-Kennedy uh, tink how, Lear. For, how, how Lear was the best how, best guy Lear in Lear the country. Hawliar, the guy, Rodgers? Yeah, watch. yeah. And uh, you yeah. had J. Pappy Norman, you know, on that team. Mel Brodsky. I mean, you know, these were great players. And um, you know, but I, I I was surprised about the the, the uh, Georgia State because that that program has really grown, and I was there for the very first. Uh, football game that they ever played. And Bill Curry, uh, thank God they got him. He really uh, got the program started, the Hall of Famer. And what, what's really interesting is that now the old Turner Field is the athletic uh, stadium for Georgia State. It's where they have soccer, football, everything is in the old. And that was the, the original Olympic Stadium that they uh, had designed and were able to convert to uh, baseball. So it's amazing. Well Dr. Leah
1: Goris and uh and, and all the people surrounding him at that particular time. Uh because he was very, very interested in athletics. He was the one that really put the Leah Goris Center uh on the map. You know, they always played you know, in in a a really mediocre facility prior to that on campus. And uh you know, you don't have that kind of drive. It, 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 Dr. Ray, of course, wanted a great basketball team. You got John Shady in there. John was able to recruit, uh, something that uh, nobody's been able to do since, really. Uh, you know, you, you wish all the luck of the world to uh, the president's staff, but so far they're struggling, and uh, it is very, very difficult. As you said, most people don't realize it. You talk about the student body, but, uh, you know, 60%, 70% of them are day students. They yeah, come in and out. And,
5: hey, uh, hey Don, be, be, before we get the hook here, uh, I'd like to take just a second, wish my dad a happy early 80th birthday. His birthday is tomorrow. So I know he's listening. I just oh, wish him a happy, happy birthday. birthday. to
1: him, and that'll, that'll get us right out the door on time. Thank you very you much, go. Doug. Once again, look forward to the Masters this weekend. We'll talk about it next weekend. Roger, always oh, a pleasure. Yeah, thanks well, to our guests earlier.
4: Before we break, yeah. I want to send out the, my birthday wishes to uh, my uncle, uh, Edgar Hendler, lives in Lansdale with uh, my Aunt Faith. Today, he is 95 years young.
1: Hey. God bless him. God bless him. So, Frank,
4: close I mean, us out. So have a great week. God bless. Well, there's, there's one thing I want to ask both of you
2: before you leave. After a long career with LaSalle College. As a player and as a coach, Fran Dunphy is now stepping back in at the age of 73 years old. What do you think?
4: Frank, I got to tell you, I called that shot with Don yesterday. Is Don mm-hmm. still there?
5: Or did Don leave?
4: I got to tell that. you, they were talking about it on the morning show that Phil Martelli or Fran Dunphy was going to be back at, at be a coaching at LaSalle. And I said mm-hmm. it's going to be done because I just heard him interviewed, and he misses the locker room.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: And, All and right. that's, that's – there it is. So, well, take care, Frank. God
2: bless. All right. Take care. All right. Thanks, Roger. Ladies and gentlemen, this program is brought to you each and every night of the week and grateful appreciation to the men with the United of the, the police and fire services. When you're out there and see somebody in a uniform, please acknowledge them. Let them know you know they're there. It's very, very important that they know you if they have your back at this point in time. These, <clears throat> these programs are dedicated to those who've lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Patrolman David Curtis, Patrolman Jeffy Polkett, Sergeant Thomas Bager, Patrolman mm-hmm. Jeffy Aswitz. Sergeant uh, Ricky uh, Chillers uh, Detective Randy Bell. Sergeant Tom Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department. <clears throat> Patrolman of Tar- Charlie Connery, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Gallo, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department, Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department, Sergeant Chris Liggs, <clears throat> Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman and Officer Chris with Lisbon TV, Lieutenant Joe Server, Newcastle County Police, Patrolman Josh Meyer, uh, National County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourne of Philadelphia Department, Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Williams Fire Department. Lieutenant Arthur, Williams Fire Department. Lieutenant Jerry Fikas, Williams Fire Department. Trooper Joe Bullock, Florida Highway Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Highway Patrol. Chief Al Hovo, Chief Police Department. And Chief Jerry Ford, Williams Fire Department. My brothers and sisters are already to be 10 feet at this point in time. At some time, they am able to until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly you on your fields, and the sun shine lightly on your face. Until we meet again, may the good Lord keep you and your family always in the howl of his hands. Tonight, God bless and have a great week.
7: Shema <laughs> Shem so I share, and i my
2: the city.